Let me skip. Kenzie, I'm going to skip that first, 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 first slide there. I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to it at the end, at the, at the end of the service, but I, I, want to, I want to jump right into the message here. You can skip the porta potty slide. I know, yeah, see, that's what I do just to whet your appetite a little bit, make you think about what that's going to be. I'll come back to it at the end. This, this series has is, 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 is been an important series for us because not only are we learning about this idea of shalom and this, this, this idea of peace that God wants us to have in this life, but it's, it's a, a capstone of, of, of sorts for the discipleship model that we are expanding here and what we're trying to teach to you. In fact, I, I, this was supposed to be the, the last message in the series. I think I'm going to come back and I'm going to do a part two because I don't think I'm going to get to all of this that's in this message tonight. So I'm going to push that. And then I think next week too, I'm just going to do a recap of the whole series again because of the significance of our discipleship model, which we're calling The Way. But, but tonight... We're going to focus on this idea of being at peace with creation. Each week we've been doing a different part of this idea of shalom. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with yourself? Are you at peace with others? And are you at peace with creation? And so again, we're going to kind of venture into this idea of peace with creation. Again, we'll pick up on the more of it next week. And then the tagline for the series is being at peace with your portion. Because we're, we're admitting, right, the idea of biblical shalom is so big. We'll spend the rest of our lives trying to understand it in pursuit of it to experience it. So what we want to do in this series is just to give you a starting point for each aspect of shalom as it relates to your relationship with God, with yourself, with others, and then here with creation, so we've been using the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 19, because we see God, ourselves, others, and creation present in this parable. We've talked about that in the series. If you're visiting, you can go online and listen to those. The Genesis story, which we're going to go into in depth tonight. The creation story, Genesis 1, 1 to 31. We see God, ourselves, others, and creation. Obviously, it's the creation story, and that there's a, a way that we experience shalom and peace through each of these the idea of being at peace with yourself was being at peace with your unchangeables, the things that God has given to you that you didn't have any control over, the time in history that you were born, the family you were born into, your ethnicity, all of these things are unchangeables. You've got to be at peace with the things that God gave to you that you didn't have a choice in receiving. You've got to be at peace with God's sovereignty. This was the idea of being at peace with God. He's the portioner. He's the portion giver. Do you trust in the sovereignty of God? Last week we did, are you at peace with others from the aspect of at peace with diversity? If the only reason that you have peace with others is because you've removed yourself relationally from everybody who's different than you are, that's false peace. True peace is harmony. And then tonight I'm going to talk about being at peace with your Activity. I know I've been using the word chores there, but as I've been studying this week, I'm going to change that a little bit tonight. So I'm, I'm going to call it being at peace with your activity. Your portion of activities that God has assigned to you in this life. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 reads this way. God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. No, none of us can boast about it. But it's interesting here, Paul then pivots because he doesn't want us to misunderstand that salvation is not permission to now not do anything that's good. He's just saying your good works don't save you, but when you're saved, then there's good works that he calls us to do. 
Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ, we're born into his family. We become a masterpiece in the kingdom. Listen to what it says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. Good things don't save us. Jesus saves us by his grace through faith. But when we are saved by grace through faith, there's activity that God has planned for us. He wants our lives to be active. This is our big idea tonight. There is a portion of peace waiting for me, waiting for you, in the good works or activity that God has planned for me. There is a portion of peace waiting for me in the good works that God has planned for me, meaning that there is an aspect of shalom. There is a, a, a part of peace that comes to the soul of us as human beings that we will not find and we will not discover until we find ourselves in the middle of pursuing the good works that God created us to pursue. So why then are people so frantically busy, often at the same time troubled and distressed? You would think then it would mean that the busier you are, the more peace that you have, but you and I both know that that's not true. Some of you came in here tonight and you're terribly busy, but you don't have peace. And so this message is for you. The origin of goodness. Somebody say goodness. The origin of goodness. Have you ever noticed that during the creation story, that on days one and three through six, we're told that God, and then there's this quote, saw that it was good. At the, each, at the end of each one of those days, day one and three through six, at the end of, of that moment of creation, when it was getting ready to shift from that day to the next day, the Bible tells us that God looked at what he had created and it said that he saw that it was good. But he does not say that on day two or day seven. Now, I think there's a reason for that. And then what we see on day six is that he says it's very good. We're going to come back to that. I don't think it was just because that's the day he created mankind and Imago Dei entered the world, the image, creation bearing the image and the, and, and the likeness of God. I think he said very good on day six because that's the day where everything began to work in concert with each other. I think it was both a good day and a very good day. It was a good day because of what he had created anew. It was a very good day because of what we talked about last week. Now there's harmony in the world like there had never been before. But I think this idea of God saying that it was good is also because he was trying to make sure that we realize that he wasn't boasting of himself. He was acknowledging something that he was observing. See, if we're not careful, we'll read the creation story as if when God saw that it was good, as if he was saying, look at how great I am and what I have done. Now, could he have said that? Sure, he could have. But we know that God is not egotistical. I think the reason why he didn't say that it was good on the other two days is because he was trying to draw attention to why he said it on the other five. And I think one of the things that he was trying to draw our attention to was that he was actually creating something called goodness. I think he was acknowledging that what he had created was good. 
But I think he repeated it over and over and over in just on the days that he created because he wanted us to know that as we are also created, as we enter into this world, there is something called goodness that he created for you and us to find, and it's a part of shalom. Goodness is finding meaning as directed by God. Goodness is finding meaning as directed by God. We know that God did not create the Garden of Eden because it was supposed to be some all-inclusive resort for mankind. We know that God was setting into motion a divine plan. And part of that divine plan is, is that he wants us to experience something called meaning in this life. There is a fulfillment that comes inside of us when we find ourselves in meaningful pursuits. And the Bible uses a word for that, and I believe it's called goodness. He looked at what he created and saw that it was good because there was goodness that was waiting for you and me in it. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Why is this plural? Because it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish, and the sea and the birds and the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. In verse 27, it says that God created. And then in verse 28, it said God blessed. Now, these two moments are significant because I believe they give to us the two primary ways that we experience goodness and meaning in this life. When we read that it says that God created, the next thing that he tells us is that he created us in his image and likeness. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now we understand this idea of Imago Dei is the foundation of what we believe in as most Christians do. And many Christians, people who aren't Christians believe in this idea of the sanctity of human life. But we believe in the sanctity of human life first and foremost because we bear the image and the likeness of God. I love what Stephanie said, talking about CareNet. It's a ministry that we support here. It's a crisis pregnancy center from the womb to the tomb. Come on. We want to support the sanctity of life. But I believe Imago Dei is also something else that's also important. Imago Dei gives us the capacity to have a relationship with God that is unlike any other way that any other part of creation relates to him. We as human beings, because we bear the image and the likeness of God, we have the capacity through Christ to be born into his family and to know him as a heavenly father. There is a relationship that you and I have with him, and when that relationship with him is the most important relationship in our lives, there is a meaningfulness to this life that you and I will find there unlike any other place. Are there other relationships that he calls us to? Absolutely. But this idea of the relationship with God being central, I would argue until you get that one right, none of those other relationships are going to be right. You and I were created by God to be in relationship with him 
before anything else matters. That matters more than anything else. I'm created by God to be in relationship with him. That's verse 27. And then it says, and God blessed them. Now it's interesting that all of the language that follows after is all about activity. It's all about things that they're supposed to do. I am blessed by God to be in activity for him. I'm created by God to be in relationship with him. And I'm blessed by God to be in activity for him. See, knowing God doesn't just bring about a relationship that adds meaning to our lives. Knowing God also postures and positions us like it did Adam and Eve so that we can now hear all the God-said moments that he wants to speak to us about the activities that he's called us to. All the activities that we pursue in this life that are significant, which we're going to get to, should be because we've had a God-said moment. Because we're in right relationship with him, all the activities that I pursue that are significant should be born out of because we have this feeling, this belief that God has called us to those things. Blessed in the sense of commission. Blessed in the sense that he's given his blessing to us to give of our time and energy and emotions to those things. Goodness is biblical language that we find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being with and for God. Goodness is biblical language. We find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being with and for God. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Listen to this. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. It's interesting that the language even that describes the activity of God himself was work. Because you and I are called to work. You and I are called to create things in this world for him. But I want to make sure that the work of creating that I'm doing for him in this world is because it came from a God-said moment. It's fascinating to me that the Sabbath, which we teach on this idea of rest, right? We want to be a Ten Commandment church, not a Nine Commandment church. That the idea of Sabbath overlays with this idea of shalom. The Sabbath is sacred because it is the first day in the creation story. It is the first day in the creation story, the first time in the creation story, where mankind with God come together and celebrate the relationship that they have and the work that they have done. Celebrating the relationship that they have and the work that they have done. There is a peace that you and I are going to find in this world because we are with him in relationship and we are for him in activity. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, one of the things that mankind lost was its access to goodness. Goodness. 
One of the things that we lost was goodness that came from being in relationship with God, but also the goodness that came from being in activity for him. Why do I say that? Have you ever noticed that the curses in Genesis 3 given to Adam and Eve were directly related to the way in which God created them? Have you ever noticed that? We're going to read them. Each one of the curses that are given to Adam and Eve are directly related to how God created them. There's a reason for that. Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Did you know that these curses are both individual and shared? Did you know that? They're both individual and shared. They are shared because in Eve's curse, that curse is not possible outside of her relationship with Adam. There's childbirth, and then there's this idea of the brokenness of marriage relationship. So, so Adam also suffers Eve's curse. Are you with me? And, and then when we get to Adam, we see that Eve is going to suffer that too because this idea of Adam's labor and toil, which I would argue now means that whoever is the breadwinner of the home, so you might be a stay-at-home dad, and, and, the, and, the, and the wife and the mother is the one that's outside earning a living. The idea here is that there's going to be so much that's demanded of you through toil and labor to survive that it's going to compete with your family. That you're not going to have the time that Adam and Eve otherwise would have had in the perfectness of Eden. It's both individualistic and shared. And shared. They both suffered together. In their own ways uniquely, but together collectively as a husband and a wife. Goodness restored. All right, now let's look at how God created Adam and Eve, and then you're going to see the connection. Watch this. Genesis 2 4 to 7. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grain were growing on the earth, for the Lord had not yet sent rain, or, and, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. And said, Springs came up from the ground and watered the land. Then God formed man. Listen to what it says. Then God formed man out of the what? Out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and then man became a living person. Right? The curse has to do with the soil and toiling over the soil. That's what Adam had been created from. Let's keep going. Look at this. Genesis 2, 21 to 24. So then the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. Right? What was Eve's curse? Had to do with her relationship with her husband in both marriage and childbirth. And who was she created from? She was created from Adam. You will suffer 
because of the goodness you found in relationship with me. This is what God is saying through these curses. Not you as in you individually, but you as in mankind. You will suffer because of the goodness you found in relationship with me will not be present with any other people, although you will demand it from them. See, this is part of the curse that has fallen on humanity. You will suffer because the goodness you found in relationship with me will not be present with other people, although you will demand it. You and I, even though born into this world, sinners because of being descendants from Adam and Eve, we are born with the same desire that they were born with. And that desire is for meaning and relationship, for goodness, relational goodness. It is an ache inside of the human soul put there by God. And when that's not satisfied by our relationship with God, that's reconciled through Christ, you and I spend our lives trying to satisfy that need through relationships with other people. It's one of the main reasons why 50% of marriages end in divorce. 50% of marriages end in divorce whether they are Christian or non-Christian. You know why? Because too many husbands and wives are expecting their spouse to meet an emotional need that only God can meet. We, we are demanding of that person a goodness and the desire is good. You with me? The desire is put there by God, but he's the only one that can meet it. And then we're overbearing in our marriage. We're overbearing in our relationships with our children. Now, I know it's never happened here, but sometimes people are overbearing in their relationships in churches. Well, why? Because there is an ache in their soul for shalom, for goodness that comes from relationship. And when it's not there, we are going to demand it from all these other relationships and they can't meet it, they can't satisfy it, and they never will. It's part of the curse. And you and I are born into this world with the curse. You will suffer because the goodness you found, listen to this, in activity for me will not be present in other tasks, although you will demand it. You will suffer because the goodness you found in activity for me will not be present in other tasks, although you will demand it. This is one of the reasons why so many people are just driven in this life. They fill their lives with busyness, but they're never satisfied because there is also an activity void in their soul that's only going to be satisfied when we find ourselves pursuing the activities that God created us for. And when, we, when we're not pursuing the activities that God has created us for, the need is still there, the ache is still there, so we just fill our lives over and over and over and we become so busy. Why? Because we're hungering and thirsting for something that God put inside of us, but we're trying to fulfill it on our own. There is goodness and activity that God says, this is what I've called you to do. Now let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 again. For God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece 
Imago Dei. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What is Paul saying to the church of Ephesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Thousands of years ago when this was written, and the same thing the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us today, Jesus Christ reconciles us to God in relationship, and he also reconciles us to God for activity. Jesus restores my sense of goodness with God. Jesus restores my sense of goodness for God. When I make a vow of devotion to Christ, goodness is now attainable for me again. Because I find in my relationship with God a goodness that satisfies my soul like no other relationship. And because of that relationship, I hope you found it true for you because it has certainly been for me from the moment I made a vow of devotion to Christ back in December of 1990 that your life has been filled with God-said moments. There's been moments because of your relationship with him where God began to speak to you about activities, things that he wants you to do for him. And as you begin to pick up the things that he wants you to do for him, sometimes that displaces other things that you've been doing that you've got to leave behind. Sometimes maybe those things that you've got to leave behind, it was hard for you to leave behind, but then all of a sudden as you begin to pick up the things that God created you to do, something began to happen deep in your soul. You discovered goodness. You found meaning. I'm going to do a commercial break here. Give me the porta potty slide. You guys are used to commercial break. Come on, you spend your whole life watching television. And then after this, I'm going to have the band come up and then I'm going to close a little bit and then we're going to push the rest to next week. This building was gifted to us two years ago. It'll be three years this coming May. Incredible story. Incredible story. We joke that this building came to us debt-free, but it did not come to us expense-free. So every weekend in October, if you've been here, if you've been watching some of our services online, we're, we're, we're in the middle of raising a little bit of money. Not a ton of money, but we're raising a little bit of money. We need to replace an air conditioning unit. There's two large units that cool the cafe part of the complex. Each of those, or the, the replacement cost for each of those, we just have to do one. One is original to the building. So it's, it's already, right, we, is, we should just spray paint Methuselah on that thing. It's lived long past its lifespan. But it's, it's $30,000 to, to replace that. We've saved, a, we've saved a, a, we put a bunch of money aside, but we want to dip into as little of those funds as we need. The other is, the reason why the porta potty signs are up there is because the main water line to this entire facility needs to be replaced. That was put in the ground in the 1950s, 1950s. So that's about $15,000. I'm hoping that we're going to raise $10,000 in the month of October. I believe we, we should be able to raise that easy. Ten families, each stroke a check for $1,000. We're going to be one of those families. I hope that you're going to meet us there. Let's raise, ten, let's raise the ten of it that we want to raise, and then the, and then the rest of it. And my, the rest of it, I mean, if everybody does something, we'll raise more than twice that. If everybody does a little something, we'll raise more than twice that. That way, the rest of the, the building fund and the emergency reserves, we can be safe for things that are going to come down the line. Now, see, most churches... Historically, when you give to a giving program, right, you might get your name on a plaque. We don't do plaques at City Life. See, what I'm going to propose to the elders, because that main water line gives water to the entire facility, is that when you give, you get an armband. 
And the armband is access to indoor plumbing. And then the rest of you, here you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Kidding. Maybe not kidding. Because that's how we roll here at City Life. That's how we roll. Seriously, right? This God, it's our turn for this facility. It's our turn. For when this soil became sacred in the 50s, North Riverside Baptist Church carried that baton, faithfully carried that banner, that torch, however you want to see it, faithfully for decades. It's been passed to our hand. Let's be just as faithful as they were for the decades that lie ahead of us. You can give online, you can give tonight, but there's a, if you give online, you, you look for the designation uh, uh, AC Waterline Project. AC, all of us, come on, let's do something. Or we're going to invite the band to come back up. I want to finish by reading out of 2 Thessalonians 3. And it's, it's a chunk. It's a chunk. I'm gonna, it's, it's, it's a short chapter, but it's, it's a whole chapter. I want to read it because it's going to set up next week for us and kind of be of a, a bridge between this week and next week. Listen to Paul here, writing to the church of Thessalonica. This is his second letter to, to the Thessalonians. It says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. If, if, you've, if you've studied Paul's epistles in, 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 any, in any way for any amount of time, you find that there's a pattern to his writing, and, and, you, and you pick up the language. He's, he's closing the letter. He's, he's wrapping it up. Finally, right, is, is the key there. But also what he begins to talk about. He often ends up in a place of prayer. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from Wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and guard you, right? Paul always ends his letters giving hope. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that God commanded to you, right? Faithful in the activities. Come on. Shalom. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes with Christ. You would think that's where he would end it, but he doesn't which tells us that what he wants to talk about is important to him. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives. Wow, strong language. And don't follow the tradition, and and they don't follow the tradition they receive from us, he's saying. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night, so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask that you feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work should not eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. And then he goes on to on, continuing in this theme of commanding people to live a productive life. Why was this important to Paul? Because it's important to God. And he wasn't saying this to be spiteful. He wasn't saying this to be punitive. He wasn't saying it to be angry, as maybe some people have misused it. Paul was using this because he recognizes the significance of the meaning that we experience in this life by being active in the things that God calls us to. 
that to Paul, this idea of being active for God is just as sacred as being in relationship with God. Because we know in his letter to the Ephesians, what did he say? He said that Jesus reconciles me to God in relationship, but he also reconciles me to God in activity. So for each of us in our lives, are we giving our soul the gift that Jesus died for us to have? Shalom, meaning, goodness. Because we are with him in relationship and we are for him in activity. Stand with me as we worship together. Father, I pray for this moment of worship that we're gonna step into together. I pray for the person that's here that feels alone, even though their, their life is filled with a multitude of relationship. And that maybe tonight would be the night that they would discover the most important relationship. And that's the relationship they can have with you because of Jesus Christ. I pray for the people that are here tonight that are busy, frazzled, worn out, burned out because their life it just moves from one activity to the other but their soul is just as unfulfilled and unsatisfied as the person who does nothing I pray for the, those people tonight that this coming week would be filled with God said moments as they begin to reflect on their activities, they would begin to set aside the ones that you've not called them to and they would pick up the ones that you did. Knowing that for most of them, they're gonna end up doing a lot less, but they're gonna be all the more fulfilled because of the goodness that they find in activity for you. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.